the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. This is Dave Naderhood, and it is my privilege every week to shine a spotlight into what God's doing in great churches and ministries all around the Bay. And this week has been no different. It's been my privilege to spend some time uh, interviewing Pastor Gary Gadini from Peninsula Covenant Church in Redwood City. And I have Pastor Gary with me, actually, uh, now, and wanted to just uh, welcome you back. Pastor Gary, thanks for being with us for a few minutes today. It's great to be with you. As we go into today's message, I, I just wanted to take a moment before uh, we hear, hear your sermon and recap a couple things. I know not everybody had a chance to hear the interviews from this past week, but uh, you've been at Peninsula Covenant for how long now? I've been here uh, 19 years. The church has been around for 65, and um, yeah, it's a wonderful community. Great, and uh, as a as a church that is sort of uh, from everything that I could ascertain, it, there's a, a wonderful things going on in terms of the inreach, the worship, the spiritual care of the congregation, but some really phenomenal things um, that are happening in terms of outreach and serving Redwood City and the wider community. Uh, just on that latter note, could you? Could you just touch on a couple of your favorite things that are um, that are happening in the surrounding community that the church is blessing? Yeah, and I think it's the outreach that informs the inreach. Really, uh, mm. gather on Sunday is disciples that are battle weary and uh, overwhelmed by the grace of God that is ours, that got us through the week, and that we can bank on for the coming week. That's good. So we have, mm. you know, on our campus a swim, tennis, and fitness facility. And that's really the hallmark of our serving the city uh, through the schools. Um, it's given us inroads to where now, um, through the center, we're on six different campuses in Redwood City. And then in the schools now, we have a model where classrooms are adopted, where um, uh, vans are provided for field trips, where uh, just some great things. Even our facilities are used by the schools for graduation and school things and what have you, where we see ourselves as a vital organ in this city, coming alongside the public schools, helping them win. Wow. Uh, you know, the uh, idea of uh, so many churches have that kind of uh, internal tension between, well, what do we do with our kids? And, and you know, the church that I had served made the decision to, well, we're going to start a Christian school for our Christian kids. And I grew up in such a, a school, and uh, it tended, despite my parents' best efforts, it, it tended toward uh, insular type of thinking, um, protecting our kids from the bad world out there, right? And yeah. <laughs> and there is certainly evil in the world, uh, but this is a very hopeful view and perspective saying, you know, we can sit and complain all day long if we want about the public school system in California, or we can go do something about it. Yeah, and we say that. You can point a finger or you can light a candle. Mm. We want to light the darkness. Yeah, amen. 
Uh, Pastor Gary, you have uh, mentioned a couple times in the interviews this past week about the, the kind of worship and the times of worship. Could you recap that for us? Sure. And I guess by today we will have just finished three of our four gatherings every Sunday. So we have an 855 orchestral hymn-driven gathering. We have a 905 on the same campus, across the campus, in the gym with a beautiful window that overlooks the whole bay. We have a gathering that is more contemporary. At 11, we have a contemporary gathering. And then 5 o'clock at night, we're in the downtown area of Redwood City, gathering as a church. Excellent. And now that main campus is over on Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City. Right. um, 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard. Um, You can find directions. You can hear some more of Pastor Gary's sermons and find out a lot of great information about the church over at their website, wearepcc.com. Again, that's all together, wearepcc, for Peninsula Covenant Church, dot com. Pastor Gary, um, before we go into the Word, can you just uh, set up this series that you've been preaching about? And then, if you don't mind, um, just open with a word of prayer so that we can ask the Spirit of God to prepare our hearts to hear the message. Love it. Yeah, our conviction is the Word of God does the work of God. Mm-hmm. And so what you're about to hear is a series we're in all year long from the book of John. We primarily preach through books of the Bible, and uh, it's called Jesus Is. We, we're taking off the seven great I Am statements and highlighting those, but going through the book of John. And I will tell you personally, it has just been transforming to get to see Jesus as John recorded him. Uh, and it's just amazing. It has drawn me to worship him uh, a whole new way, in a fresh way. Mm. So let me pray for for Amen. Yes. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the way that you uh, worked through him, and you breathed, and you acted, and you lived, and you talked, and you served through Jesus. Mm. May we see him in a whole new way as we listen to how he's displayed in your book of John today. We love you, and I pray you'd find fertile hearts, fertile soil in the hearts of people who are listening to this message today. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Gary. Thanks for joining us on the Ministry of the Week, and it's been our privilege to uh, highlight the great things that that God is doing over there at Peninsula Covenant Church. Uh, Folks, if you, again, want to find out more information, uh, head to their website, wearepcc.com. Uh, But right now, uh, let's get into the Word of God together. This is Pastor Gary Gadini from Peninsula Covenant Church, our KFAX Ministry of the Week. DTR. Know what it stands for? Uh, Early in my relationship, uh, our dating life was defined by three different doors. Uh, I've told you a lot about the first time I met Anne. We were set up at a couple's house, and uh, she opened the door when I knocked. I'll never forget the day when she opened the door, and literally it's like it took my breath out of me seeing her for the first time. No lie. Uh, The other door on the other end of our dating relationship that ended our dating relationship was when I uh, was standing right around here in a different church, and crown him of many crowns was playing over in Oregon. 300 people were gathered, and the doors opened, and there was my bride uh, getting ready to walk down the aisle. Um, But the second door was very defining as well. We were probably um, two months living in the same area and pursuing a relationship. And I was going, I was a youth pastor, I was 24, I was heading off to uh, a middle school retreat. And we would always uh, go on runs and do stuff together. And so it was Friday, early afternoon, and I knocked on the door of her house, we were going to go for a run. 
and she opened the door and she wasn't dressed to run. I go, what's up? And she said, come inside. I knew this was not going to go well. And so we walked inside and basically she had the guts to do what I didn't have the manhood to do. And that is to find the relationship. She said, uh, we're done. I said, what? She goes, we're not, we're not going running. Uh, in her opinion, in her mind, it was true. Uh, ours was a relationship of convenience. Uh, it wasn't a relationship of commitment. And so she said, I don't want to go for a run with you. I like you, but we're not going forward in our relationship. Uh, I left and went in the car. And my memory is that whole weekend being up in Tahoe, you know, being there, but not being there. You ever had an experience like that? And just looking up at the stars going, I couldn't even imagine two months into living in the same area and dating. I couldn't imagine life without her. And so uh, I came back and knocked on that door again and said, let's go out to dinner. And we had a conversation that changed all that, which was great. Uh, DTR. Now you understand what DTR stands for? Define the relationship. It's its official talk in any dating relationship where you define the level of commitment, where you define the relationship, where it stands, if it's going anywhere, if you're in, what's it going to be? And nowadays, once you DTR, you become Facebook official, right? That's the next step after DTR. <laughs> it's always tough to manage the DTR because you got to understand whether when to have it, not to have it too soon, not to go on too long. I once, after college, uh, before Ann, dated this girl on the first date. She wanted a DTR. And I got out of there PDQ, right? That was the end of it. I'm like, yeah, I don't do that. Sorry. I'll give you this. Um, This is what no one told me. There comes a time in every relationship where you have to DTR. And what no one told me prior to marriage was there comes a time in marriage throughout marriage where you continually DTR every stage of the way. Uh, We've had so many DTRs. Not are we in this marriage or not, but what does it mean to be in this marriage, in this life stage, with this going on? It's important. Uh, So DTRs determine if you're going past infatuation, past admiration, and towards deeper devotion and commitment. Now here's my question, not on an earthly level, and I don't mean to be cute with this, but I mean to be serious. With Jesus, when's the last time you had the DTR? When's the last time you sat down, and he's totally committed, he's all in, right? What more could Christ give? He is all in. He still bears the scars of his all being in. When's the last time you came and said, I'm all in too? Where are you with Christ? And I don't mean this in a a punitive way or a demeaning way. Are you infatuated with Jesus or are you a committed follower of Jesus? Does your following mean Sunday morning for an hour and a half or does it mean 24-7? Many times I find people who think they're following, but really they're infatuated with Christ. And who wouldn't be? As long as it's convenient and serves me, as long as Jesus keeps answering my prayers, as long as he keeps producing wins for me, I'm in. But if things start to go bad, a few losses along the way, and I don't mean to belittle those, if life turns out with a different script than what I signed up for, I'm out. And gang, I see it all the time from my vantage point. It breaks my heart. We want a relationship with Jesus, but infatuated people want it on our terms. To some degree, we all want it on our terms. We want a no-strings-attached relationship. I'll come on weekends. I'll connect. I'll pray. I'll even give a little bit. Not enough to make it hurt, but just a little bit. But don't demand too much of me. 
Don't ask me to be single my whole life. Don't ask me not to take the promotion. Don't call me over to that continent or to pray for that continent or to care about that continent. I actually, in my study this week, true story, came up and and understood a new group of vegetarians. This is a true story. There were vegetarians, mainly younger people, who were totally vegetarian, but they like meat too. And so they'd be vegetarian and eat meat. And the vegetarians came to him and said, you're ruining the cause. Like vegetarians, no meat. And so they came up with a new term for themselves. Look it up yourself. Are you ready? Flexitarians. (laughs) It's true. They're vegetarians, flexitarians, until you serve them meat. And then they'll still be vegetarians, but they'll eat meat too. They especially love bacon. Flexitarians. See, the vegetarians were ticked because they called themselves vegetarians, but they didn't live up to the commitment of the name. Now, today we're going to look in John chapter 6 of a group of people. You're going to see the term isn't even Christians. The Christians only use three times in the Bible. Uh, the main term for followers of Christ in the Bible is disciples. Um, so they were disciples. They called themselves disciples. Don't miss this, but they didn't live up to the name. What does Jesus do with people like that? How does Jesus treat people like that? We're going to see that in John 6. It's an amazing, amazing chapter. Jesus isn't interested in mere people who are merely infatuated with him. He longs for committed followers. 20 times in the New Testament, Christ issues a compelling and challenging invitation. Follow me. And it's hard to talk about that when we stay seated and like, I'm all in, I'm following you, but we don't move anywhere, right? When Jesus called someone in his day to follow him, he was actually walking, saying, no, literally, I mean it. Leave what you're doing, follow me. Today, for us, that means leave some convictions, leave some character issues. They're really destroying you. Jesus would never ask us to leave anything behind that isn't hurting us or hurting others. And follow me. We start in chapter 6, where Jesus is at the epitome. As a matter of fact, in our study of the Gospel of John, if you were to measure his popularity, we're going to get to the pinnacle of it in verse 15. Look in your Bibles. Verse 15 of chapter 6. He's at the top of popularity. What do they want him to do? They want him to be king. He's got over 10,000 people. I read one commentary that said upwards of almost 20,000 people are gathered there saying, You're our king. It never got more popular for Jesus. By the end of the chapter, he dwindled it down to 11. 11. Jesus never would have made it as a pastor in America. He ruined his church. He had it. The first mega church. By the end of the chapter, it's 11. And what made him walk away? Bread did. Bread did. He went too far. He asked too much. Something happened in his discourse more than meets the eye, more than we even understand in the West. Because if you want to understand the magnitude of Jesus' teaching, look at how his followers responded. Something took place in this discourse called the Bread of Life Discourse that made the majority, the overwhelming majority of followers of Christ bail. It was Jesus DTR with them and they said goodbye 
Now let me give you some more context as we dip in. We're going to focus on the ver- words Veronica read, but uh, the context is amazing, and I wish we had a year to be in John 6. It's a, it's a very, very powerful chapter. He starts, uh, the chapter starts feeding 5,000, and just let me say, that was unprecedented in Jesus' day. There's probably good research to show never before prior to this point had 5,000 people been fed in one sitting. They didn't have refrigeration, they couldn't preserve food, and food wasn't even readily available. He's in the northernmost part of Galilee at this point. Uh, The bread he even served was barley bread. Poor people couldn't even buy flour, so they would use barley to make their bread. Uh, And he feeds them all. They're very poor. Two times we see in verse 11, look in your Bibles, in verse 12. Verse 11 says, they had as much as they wanted. In verse 12, it says, they had enough to eat. We don't, even, we don't even have a concept of this. We have a team right now in Congo, in a small village in northwest Congo, where that never happens. Uh, there's a huge, I've been in the village, there's a huge mango tree that feeds, you know, the poor people eat their mangoes from the tree. They're lucky to get rice, but not as much as they want. Not to their full. So before we bag on these people for keep asking Jesus for bread, they had a feast for the first time ever. And don't you know it tasted good? Don't you know that feeling of being satisfied? One other aspect that informs this is John chapter 6, verse 4. If you miss this, you really miss the, the crux of the Bread of Life discourse. It was Passover time. It was Passover time. What does the Passover signify? Moses leading his people out of Egypt. And how did God sustain the people throughout the Exodus during the Passover or after the Passover? With what? Manna, bread from heaven. And so Jesus is taking this time to use this ritual in Judaism to explain to his people, I am better than Moses. I'm a better bread than manna ever was. Manna will make you hungry again. That's why you need to come out every morning and get it. You feast on me, you'll never, never hunger again. And so, of course, they're going to say in the discourse, we want this bread. And then he sets up for them some juxtapositions. Look at page two, and let's look at some of the uh, contrasts. Not all of them. Again, I'm just, I'm giving you an overview to whet your appetite, to dig in for yourself. We'll, We'll hang out in a minute here at the end of the chapter. But two contrasts are important. Verse 27, because I think we're living in this. Verse 27, food that spoils, food that endures. It's the tension of living for Christ. We work for food that spoils, right? The electrical bills, electricity needs to be paid. Heat needs to be done. Rent needs to be paid. Mortgage needs to be paid. Food that spoils. Jesus is saying, I offer you food that endures. Don't neglect the first, but don't neglect the second. I find in my Christian life, because it's so pragmatic, I focus on the first to the neglect of the second. Right? Look at the second one. How do we get this food? You work for food, verse 27, versus Jesus giving you the food. As a matter of fact, the verse for me of John chapter 6, look at verse 29. Jesus said, you want to work? Work at being, work at believing, When's the last time you did that? Work at faith. Fight for faith. Fight for belief. We don't even use this language anymore. Toil in prayer. 
Jesus, you want to work at something. You can't work for the bread I give. I give it to you. That'd be like me coming to your house for dinner and you serving this great meal, right? With great bread and great food and great dessert and all that. And when I'm leaving, me going, hey, that was so good. Thank you for blessing me and my family. What a night. Pulling out my billfold going, how much do I owe you for tonight? That'd be an insult to you, right? Jesus is saying, it's the same with me. I want to give you this. Now, you want to work? I'll tell you where to put your energy. And I just ask this uh, sensitively, uh, with conviction, fine, not to judge or demean, okay? That's from the enemy, so don't. We pray. Do you know we pray early in the morning against the accuser for you? Because we know when you wake up, you're like us. And you wake up with an accuser going, don't go to church. You're a moron. You don't need to be, you know. We pray against that. So do not listen to the enemy right now. Honestly, when's the last time you worked in faith? At faith. At belief. When's the last time you just got on your knees, locked the door, and said, I'm not going anywhere. But God, you've got, I'm going to wrestle with you. Because I don't understand. I don't want to go anywhere. Except forward with you. And you've got to give me this. It's such a rare experience. And maybe there's a, there's a corollary between that and our shallow, tepid faith. Or a corollary between that and the size of our impact for Christ. Because we don't know what it is to wrestle anymore. We want it now. We want the answers now. Hey, I prayed once. I've been praying for a month. Why isn't God answering? We need to learn anew how to wrestle in faith. That's where this chapter ends. Because if, um, I'll just say this. With God, um, the moral of the story of John 6, are you ready? If you're not wrestling, you're not following. Wrestle with that. If you're not wrestling, you're not following. Because the claims are so outlandish. This world is so broken that no one gets out unscathed. That we've got to wrestle with God for faith. So we can follow So Jesus, in the middle of that, says, I'm the bread of life. It's the first of seven sayings, they're also in your notes, that um, we're building this whole series around. I am the name for God in the Old Testament. So Jesus is clearly stating, hi, I'm God. And then he affixes a metaphor to that, the bread. I am the bread of life. In other words, around this Passover time, when they celebrated the Exodus, celebrated the provision of manna, Jesus waits for that time to say, I'm so much better than manna was. And I'm so much bigger than Moses ever was. I am the bread of life. You feast on me and you will never go hungry again. And then they wrestle. And rather than Jesus making it easy or backpedaling like people do, oh, I didn't really mean that. Or let me, let me exegete the word I. Let me tell you what I means. And oh, no, I didn't really call you to that big a commitment. Rather than do that, Jesus DTR defines a relationship and says, does that offend you? And then lets it sit. He doesn't change his claims. Jesus is okay offending his followers. Because it's through the offense, it's through the wrestle that we gain life. Now you ready to dig in? Look at verse 53. Here we go. They're grumbling just like the Old Testament. You'll see the word grumbling three times in there. Just like the Israelites were in the desert. It's amazing how this story fits with Exodus. It's amazing. And here he goes. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. This is crazy. Try using that the next time you're in your break room and someone says, hey, I want to know how to go to heaven. What do I need to do? Oh, eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood. And just let it sit. Before we just, again, before we belittle the Jews listening to this, let's just sit in this and how crazy this is. Now, later it would make sense on the Last Supper and even what we're doing today. It makes sense because we put it in the context of the Passover, of the Last Supper, of heaven and what this means. But in its day, these people were like, what? Jesus continued, verse 60. Look at verse 60. On hearing it, many of his, now what are they called? Yeah, this isn't for the crowd or the world. Anyone's welcome to come to Christ by grace through faith. This isn't for them. This is for people that said, I'm in. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, great, get ready to wrestle. Because if you're not wrestling, you're not following. Let's DTR. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can embrace it? Who can get on board with it? What do you do with the hard teachings of Jesus? What do you do? I know what most of us do. We don't, we don't even bother ourselves with them. We focus on the elementary or the good things, what he gives us. We don't wrestle with the hard things. Jesus came to give us the whole package on how to live, including the hard statements. They're given to give life to us. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this make you stumble? Does this raise doubts about whether following me is worth it? Does this make you reconsider whether you made the right decision to be associated with me? The DTR. And that's exactly what his teaching did. And rather than wrestle, the crowd walks. Because it's a lot easier to do. They come to a place of wrestle and they think, you know what? I don't want to exert the energy. And my three-pound brain knows better than the omniscient, infinite God of the universe. I'm out. And I'll create my own theology around this. And I'll see if that goes better for me. Verse 66. Jump down. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Ben gave me some great, Pastor Ben, the guy who's hosting today, great insight on this. The 12 who stayed, it's not that they understood more than the thousands who walked, they just had the, the, the little bit of faith to cling to Jesus with all their questions, even if they didn't get answered. Because there's enough that Jesus had given them, there's enough that they had experienced that they could trust him with all the unknowns. I think that's why it's called faith. And you know what, in a group this size, I know many of your stories, I read your prayer cards, I'm in relationship with some of you, I wish it was more, I only have so much capacity. I know there are heroes of the faith in here who are living that out. Unthinkable things have come to them. And I could give you my sad story. I could bring us all to tears with the the sad stories that have come my way, where I'm like, I didn't sign up for that. I thought following you meant something different than that. But we cling to Christ not because we have that injustice figured out. We cling to Christ because we just know Christ is real and we can trust him for all the questions. It's called faith. And, and you live that well. That's what I love about this church. I love that about this church. 
So the, the disciples are left and they see the crowd follow. And for them, you need to know the thousands for them meant so much for these disciples. It meant, uh, it meant um, their security. It meant their support. They knew if they lost the crowd, the Pharisees would come after them. It was their buffer to be protected. Uh, it, 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 it validated what they had given up to follow. So when these 12 or thousands left, these 12 are left standing there completely exposed. And Jesus turns to them. Verse 67. And in these next few verses, I'm going to give you the question that I've uh, clung to that's taken me through every period of wrestle of my life. I know I'm only 51, and for some of you, you think that's ancient. For others, you think that's really young. And I know I haven't had a lot of wrestling in my life. I know the majority of wrestles in my life are ahead of me the next 30 years, if I have it. But this is the question I've clung to time and time again. Look what he says in verse 67. Jesus turns to them and says this, you don't want to leave too, do you? None of us would ask that question. If I went from 10,000 to 12, I'd be like, okay, what do I need to do to keep you guys here? Right? And you would too. But they were busted because that's exactly, I believe, what went through the mind of these 12. Because suddenly following Jesus was going to be difficult. It was going to cost them something. It was not going to work to their advantage from an earthly perspective. And I just want to tell you, following Christ at some point will not come to work to your advantage from an earthly perspective. From an earthly perspective, at some point, following Christ will cost you more than you think it's giving you. That's the norm in the Christian life. Jesus promised that in John 16, verse 33. In this world, you're going to have trouble. I promise you. But he said, take heart. Because out of this world, I'm an overcomer. You've been there too. There's that place from an earthly perspective when it doesn't work to your advantage to be a follower of Christ. You're exposed. You're seemingly alone. You're ridiculed and persecuted. My goodness, if this sermon was being given in the east, like it's in the east of the world or in the southern hemisphere, that's the norm for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Come to Christ for them means die, literally die. I've been reading all week about missionary biographies who left America and packed all their belongings in a casket to go to the mission field. It's just, it just sounds normal or abnormal to us here in the West. And I'm not belittling us, but we're so used to comfort. We're so used to uh, making things just right and nice and controlling. That's why it sounds odd. To wrestle is to follow. To not wrestle is to not follow. What kind of church is this? You come to that place. Do you want to leave too? There's students here. I love the students. Man, my third row, fourth row. I love you guys. There comes that place in your life when peer pressure comes on you, when following Christ is going to cost you, where you get labeled. I was there. I remember in in college, the God Squad, that's what my group of students were called, the God Squad. My fraternity mocked me, called me in the middle of the night drunk. Gadini, pray for me. Ha, 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 ha. And I thought, wow. And Jesus said, are you going to leave too? Or is putting up with mockery worth it? so that some of these people have their eternity changed forever. We have people in here dating, and you come to this place in your life where you realize the standards God has put before you of purity 
or even of singleness, and you've drawn a line in the sand, there are heroes here who've drawn a line in the sand and say, if that standard isn't met, I'm going to be single the rest of my life. And you are paying a price, and you're wrestling, and you're crying out to God, and I just honor you in here. And Jesus looks to you in your moment of weakness and says, are you going to leave too? Yeah, they have everything, the looks, the income, but they don't walk with God. And they have pinged you or given you the wink on Christian Mingle or whatever they do these days on the dating websites, right? And uh, are you going to leave too? Or are you going to keep the standard where I would want it? We have people married here. And your call and the value made before God to lay down your life, it's huge. It's monumental, and it seemed easy, relatively speaking, when you were standing right here on your wedding day. But now there's disease, or now there's uh, some other things happening, and now there's emotional turmoil, and now you're growing older, and, and your body image is different, and things aren't as intimate as you'd want them to be, and God's looking to you, and you're complaining to God and saying, change him, and God's saying, how about change you? Are you going to leave too? Or are you sticking to the value made before me? I can go on and on, parents holding on to the prodigal and saying, God, how many years, how many decades? We have people who have prayed decades for their children to return to the Lord. And Jesus is saying, I'll take care of that. Can you trust me? But are you going to leave too? If I call you to do this two more decades, three more decades. We're in the marketplace. You're passing up the promotion because you think it's important that you spend the time doing what God's called you to do. And God looks to you and goes, you going to leave too? If following me means you don't take that job? Or following me, me means on, when you're traveling, you don't do that activity? I can go on and on. Health issues. No one, no one wants to be unhealthy, right? No one wants that diagnosis. But the diagnosis comes and you say, wait a second, God. I didn't script this. I hate that word. What do you mean? I didn't think following Christ meant this. And Jesus says, are you going to leave too? If I want your life and your suffering to be used for my glory. See, this is why I say if you're not wrestling, you're not following. And you have a choice to make. These next two chapters are are not fun chapters to preach. Because less fun to live under as a disciple. Because following Christ means to wrestle with this. Who wouldn't want to come to Christ if your life means, you know, a big house, uh, great kids, uh, a great legacy, fame, and you get all the comforts you want? Who wouldn't want to sign up for that? That's what the bread symbolized. That's why they were back the next day. But Jesus turned to them and said, what if following me means suffering and pain and loneliness and through your faith, others are drawn to me because it's so otherworldly. People either go, that's a lunatic or that's the difference of Christ in a life, and I want the difference Christ makes in a life. So here's the statement, verse 68. The statement. Teenagers, listen to this. Adults, listen to this. That's gotten me through every wrestle. Every wrestle. Peter, the spokesman of the crowd, stands up, and he asks a question, because the key to life is not having all the right answers. The key to life is asking the right questions. And Peter asks the right question. Here it is. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He doesn't say where should we go. He doesn't say what would we do. 
He says, to whom shall we go? In other words, Peter got it and knew to walk away from you, don't miss this, is to walk towards someone else. And God, all the other options don't match. Yeah, I don't like this. I don't like that we had 15, 10, 20,000 people. We were going somewhere, Jesus. You had to pull out the eat my body talk. (laughs) I don't like that at all. But I don't call the shots. I came to you as a disciple, which means I die to my preferences. And where else would I go? No one else can get me beyond the grave. No one else can give me that internal feeling of contentment and satisfaction, even when my body is pained through suffering in any way. Only you provides the feeling I'm never alone. So yeah, we could walk, but where else will we go? And that's the question to ask, to whom shall we go? We believe, we know. He says, look, I don't get a lot of this, but here's what I know. You're the Holy One of God. That term was used 30 times in the book of Isaiah as a moniker from God himself. It's Peter's declaration, you're God. If you ever hear Jesus never claimed to be God, turn people to the book of John. All over the place, Jesus is making God statements about himself and others are saying it about him. Even the demons in Mark chapter one use that term to call Jesus God. So the demonic realm knows it. The the people in Judaism know that term as God. And as followers of Christ, we should know it too. You're the Holy One of God. Where else will we go? The options presented in leaving you are far worse than answers to the question I get wrestling with you. So to whom shall we go? So after that weekend, I came back and knocked on the door. Because honestly... We'd only been dating in the same town for two months. We'd been in a relationship around seven months. Um, at that point, I just knew. My life without Anne, uh, it, w- it would be a terrible thing. The, 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 the hole in my heart at that young age, it was real. And so we went out into, um, uh, into Tiburon and had this meal. And I just turned to her. I just said, there's no back door. Now I really want a DTR. We're moving forward. The next door was the door of a wedding where Anne walked through. Am I to whom shall I go on an earthly level with her has made all the difference. Probably the, the second greatest decision I ever made in this life. Next to who I follow as my Lord and master, who will I do life with my wife? Now when it comes to your relationship with God and the DTR, where you are right now, And Jesus calling you to follow him. To whom shall you turn if you don't follow him? Where is God calling you to wrestle? I don't want to to minimize the wrestle. Because I, I, again, I read your cards. I want to be sensitive as your pastor. I know what's going on in some of the wrestles. They are valid. They are horrific. They're beyond you. But to walk away from God with the wrestle, and as opposed to wrestling, where else would you go? What would you do? We're going to go to communion in a minute. And I think this would be a great opportunity today for you to say to God, much like uh, I said to my wife on an altar, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. We're going through it together. I'm giving you an unconditional yes, regardless of what the future holds. And that statement has been tried many times. Like I said, what someone never told me was the DTR isn't just a dating thing. It should happen through the life of your marriage. 
where you continually define the relationship. Maybe you can come to the table and say to the Lord, yeah, I'm wrestling, and yeah, I don't know what the future holds, and yeah, this is hard, but I do know this, I'm in. Meet me at this table, and let me eat the bread of life. Give me the strength to follow you and to to bring glory to you through the way I live my life. That's what we're going to. What are the limits of your following? I guess that's what I'm asking. At what point do you say, I'll follow you this far, but not this far? Why not come to God and give him an unconditional yes? I'm in, as a disciple. So on the night before Jesus died, he took the bread and he broke it. And now the eat my body, drink my blood made sense. He said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me, feast on me, and do it often. Because when you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And you remember and you look forward to a day when he'll come again and we'll eat this in his presence. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. A new covenant. He goes, no more work. Now I give you what you're trying to work for so much. Unconditional forgiveness, new life in me. Whenever you drink this, you remember me and you remember that you're forgiven. So I invite you, weary, wounded, pained, come to the table and commune together. Commune with the Lord, commune with each other. We have stations set up all over the sanctuary and we invite you, don't come alone. Come in a group and commune. You can take the bread Dip it in the cup. Say, this is the body of Christ broken for me. This is the blood of Christ shed for me. Eat it and let it be a reminder for you of God's unconditional commitment to you. And let it be a DTR moment where you say to God, I'm in. I don't even know what the future holds, but to whom else would I go? I'm following you into that future. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you love us enough to wrestle with us, to wake us out of our denial and our lethargy, to remind us what life is all about, to live for eternity. And God, I pray for the wrestle. There are many here who have prayed so long around certain things. When I talk about toil and prayer, there are some here that understand that. They've spent sleepless nights. They've cried out and begged. And seemingly you're silent. Thank you, Lord, that you promise never to leave us, never to forsake us. And you also promise a bruised reed you're not going to break. A smoldering wick you won't snuff out. You're a good, good father. So as we commune, I pray that we would encourage each other, strengthen each other. But we come to you as a body, individually, saying, I'm in. I'm in. I'm following. There's no back door. Where else? To whom else? would I go to meet us there and take us from there and then use our lives to light the world yeah we get disappointed over the darkness but we're not going to curse it we're going to light a candle and make a difference so be honored in this time as we commune we pray this in Christ's name everybody said and that was Pastor Gary Gadini from Peninsula Covenant Church our KFAX Ministry of the Week. 
The message you just heard was from Pastor Gadini's series on the book of John. It was a message called Bread from Heaven, taken from John chapter 6. And we were pleased to have Pastor Gadini in studio with us, focusing on the ministries of Peninsula Covenant Church, a wonderful church that has been serving its community there on the peninsula in Redwood City for quite a few years. They're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, and you can locate them by going online, wearepcc.com. Again, that website, wearepcc.com. There's lots of links there to find out more about this amazing church that is doing great ministry work to the community, for the community, with the community. And we encourage you to check them out. There's also information about their different worship times. They have a wonderful and unique lineup of worship. Sunday morning at 8.55 in the sanctuary is their traditions service featuring hymns and more traditional style of worship with choir. And at 9.05 in the community gym center, there is a more contemporary service. At 11 a.m. in the sanctuary, there's another contemporary service. And then... At 5 p.m., they are having worship downtown Redwood City at 599 Jefferson. Once again, the main church campus is located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City. We encourage you to go online if you are looking for a church home and you live on the peninsula, to go online and check out wearepcc.com to find out how you can participate and be part of this church. This is why we feature different churches and ministries here on the Ministry of the Week to get you growing and connected in a local congregation and serving Christ in your community. If you missed any of this broadcast today or any of the interviews with Pastor Gadini, you can check out our podcast of it. It's over at kfax.com. And we want to once again invite you to listen in tomorrow at 7.35 p.m. Again, at 10.35 p.m. as we'll be featuring a new Ministry of the Week. Until then, have a great rest of your Sunday, everyone. Grace and peace to you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.